in our seventh session on Philippians 3, 18 to 21, we're going to focus on verse 20. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So three, three questions to answer. How is this connected? We have the word but here, even though in Greek there's this word gar that connects them, which usually means because or for, like we have here. So we want to understand how is verse 20 functioning in relation to uh, verses 18 and 21 or what goes before. That's our first question. Second question is, what does it imply that our citizenship, polituma, from which we get politics and other words related to city or commonwealth, citizenship, what does it imply that citizenship is in heaven? And third question, Savior, we await a Savior from what? So, Father, as we understand now or try to understand the connection between verse 20 and what you've shown us here and the meaning of having our citizenship in heaven and the nature of waiting for a Savior, what kind of saving is he going to do in the future? I pray that you would guide us and teach us. We want to be good citizens of heaven if that's where our homeland is really is. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My suggestion is that this word but here in English is probably a good effort to show that the the way this is a support or a ground or an argument is to say that it continues the argument that began here. So this is a four, this is a four, and I don't think this four primarily argues for this, but that together with this, verse 20 argues for what went before. So let's look and see what that is. What went just before? Many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, but our citizenship is in heaven. So this people have uh, their belly is their God, and they glory in their shame, and their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. So this is negative. Don't, don't be in this category. Be in this category, because that's who you really are, and that's an argument. So what's verse 17? Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So join in imitating me because... Many are enemies of the cross, and your citizenship is in heaven. So what, what is it about what Paul is doing that they should imitate that would make sense out of this? Well, here's what he's doing, and it all has one big thrust. Let's read it. Not that I have already obtained this perfection, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So I'm, I'm pressing on. So imitate me in that. 
I'm pressing on. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. So I'm pressing on. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. So imitate me in that. I press on toward what? The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. So I'm pressing forward, straining forward, because I want to be called up in resurrection or into the presence of Christ in death. Let those of us who are mature think this way, namely, have a life of pressing on, have a life of straining forward, have a life that longs to be with, with Christ in the, in the new world. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Join in imitating me, and then here come the reasons. Because one, there are a lot of people who would get you not to live that way. They'd, they want you to live for earthly things, for your belly and for your shame. So that's the negative. Don't, don't let that happen. Rather, your citizenship is in heaven. And so, of course, you want to want to stress on towards heaven and uh, press on towards heaven and strain forward and seek for the upward, the heavenward call of God. So that's the nature of the argument. I think this is a warning that there are lots of enemies. You are surrounded by many enemies who will try to get you to live not as a citizen of heaven, but as a person whose mind is consumed with earthly things. Don't let this happen because this is who you are. So I think this is argument number one, and it's negative. This is argument number two, and it's, it's positive. That's why I understand the way the, the, uh, the thought flows. Now, second question, what does it mean, what does it imply that our citizenship is in heaven? Let me list a couple of possibilities. One, it's our homeland, uh, where we belong, where we're going, our destiny. So this is our true homeland, not earth, but heaven, where Christ is. Second implication. Uh, our king is there. He's coming for us. We await a savior. Our king is there. He rules this homeland. That sometimes that word can mean commonwealth or country or a government or the act of participating in it, citizenship. Third is the one that Paul seems to be most keenly aware of because this word, the form of it, is used in only one other place in the New Testament, and it happens to be chapter 1 of Philippians. Only let your manner of life be, and there's the word. It's a verb form. The other one was a noun, citizenship. This one I would define like this. Live your life according to the customs of the homeland. So uh, let the homeland, the polytuma, the noun form that we have over in chapter 3, let the homeland, heaven, define your customs. Don't let, you're, you're in exile here. You're living in exile on the earth. Don't let the foreign country, namely uh, this earth, 
or America or wherever you happen to live. Don't let the customs of that country define you most profoundly. Let your homeland, which is heaven, define you. So he's saying, let your homeland define you as you live worthy of the gospel. So worthy of the gospel is the chief feature of the homeland customs. That is, the people whose citizenship is in heaven cherish the gospel above all things because the gospel opens the door to being with Christ. So Christ and the gospel are the infinite value that the people who have their citizenship in heaven are, are cherishing. And that changes everything about the way we live here. So our manner of life on earth in families and churches and neighborhoods and politics and business and art and entertainment and education should all be governed by the fact that we live in heaven. That is, our citizenship is in heaven. We get our customs from heaven and the the charter of heaven is the gospel and the, the infinite value of Jesus Christ. So our citizenship is in heaven implies that our our king is there, our treasure is there, and that's why he is saying we should take all of this as an argument for pressing on and straining forward to the upward call of God, which is the call of God to be with Christ in his kingdom. Uh, it's interesting, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 2.12, not the same word, but the same idea. We exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And then he picks out this to say about God, who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. So walking in a manner worthy of God keying off of the fact that he has called us to his kingdom and his glory shows that our true citizenship, our true belonging, our true definition of how we live is in, in the kingdom. And God is the supreme value there and we walk in a manner worthy of him. So our, our citizenship, our homeland, our heart is there, our king is there, and our customs are there with worthy of the gospel as being the way Paul defines it in 127. Last thing, we're awaiting from heaven, we're awaiting a savior. From what? Two things. If you go backwards from destruction, right? We await a savior. We don't want to be destroyed. Their end, the enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. But we await a savior. Destruction awaits them. Rescue from that destruction awaits us. You see that over here in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son, 
to wait for his son, just like it says back in Philippians 3, from heaven, who raised him from the dead and delivers us, saves us from the wrath to come. That's the destruction that awaits the enemies of the cross and from which we will be saved. That's one. Secondly is this lowly body. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. So when he comes, he won't just rescue us from something, he will save us for something. Namely, he will give us a brand new, glorious body. So he'll rescue us from his wrath and he will fit us for eternal glory with a new body with him in the age to come.